Amen, amen. So we're jumping back in Acts uh, on this morning, and I believe next week we'll close that out and see where God will take us uh, from there. But I pray this time has been encouraging for you. It's certainly been encouraging for me. Uh, I've learned some things about the early church and uh, just been enjoying the, the different perspectives and the different things that we've seen and, and how God has desired to use um, not not the most skilled, not the most educated, not the most eloquent, but simple men and women who yielded themselves to the Lord and, and, and God made much of what, of what they brought. Amen. And so uh, I pray that you're allowing him to do that in you every day. And we'll see that God continues to use Paul, uh, even, even as a prisoner. God is still using this man's life because he's availing himself to the Lord. And may we do the same. Amen. So we last left Paul standing before Festus and uh, Agrippa in chapter 26. Uh, both men concluded that there was no sustainable charge against Paul, nothing that would warrant him remaining uh, in prison, but in prison he is. Uh, in fact, both Jewish and Roman authorities at this point have found that the charges against Paul are groundless. He's not broken either law, no Jewish law, nor Roman law, but again, he remains in prison. And Paul's appeal to Caesar in chapter 25 set him on a one-way course to Rome, Agrippa even saying that uh, to Festus in the latter chapter of 26 that this man, speaking of Paul, uh, could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. And it's important to note that our lives aren't simply impacted just by what we see. Amen. If we focus on the fact that, that, that Paul has been passed from, from court to court, uh, back and forth from Jewish and, and, and Roman authorities, we completely miss that it's the hand of God that's moving him. That it's the hand of God that's orchestrating these events in his life for his own glory and his own purpose and to further the mission of God, the mission of God to spread the gospel and to make much of Christ. Agrippa thought Paul's course to Rome was locked in because of Paul's appeal to Caesar. But God had long spoken to Paul. Uh, earlier, if you recall, in chapter 23, he, uh, Paul spoke, um, or rather God spoke to Paul, saying that as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. So, it's not by Agrippa's word. It's not by Paul's word, even though, again, we do see Paul earlier in uh, the text saying that I must go see Rome, right? But it starts as a burden. God putting something on your heart. And then God speaks his word to confirm it to you, and he uses others even to speak his word to confirm it. So it's not by Paul's word, it's not by Festus's word or Agrippa's word, but it's the word of God that's orchestrating events in Paul's life right now. And so we really have to ask ourselves if we're, again, not just looking at things from a physical standpoint, what is God saying to us? You know, what, what is he burdening your heart with? You know, and if we're, we're hearing God say to us, hey, go here, do this, and if we're feeling God burdening our hearts to do it, are we doing it? Are we, are we being obedient to God? And if we're not, are we operating in faith? 
So as we come to our text this morning, Paul has been in prison for more than two years. And before his release, he'll actually be in prison for a better part of five years. But this is two years of imprisonment and yet two years of being on mission for God and exactly where God wanted him to be. It's two years of walking in faith and yet still being subject to unjust and unfavorable circumstances. In light of these two years, we want to again dispel the myth that faith equals an absence of hardship. Amen? Paul is walking in faith. He's been walking in faith ever since he had his experience on the Damascus Road. Faith after that point when he regained his sight, Scripture says immediately he began preaching and teaching in the synagogues. Faith carried him in that. Faith carried him through uh, uh, getting stoned. Faith carried him through uh, uh, multiple death threats. Faith is carrying him in prison now. And at this point, faith is about to carry him to Rome and on a ship that's going to come to the middle of a storm. I pictured the movie The Commander with Russell Crowe as I was reading through this in this huge storm. Um, But it's a storm that gets so big and so bad that everybody, including the sailors, abandon all hope of being saved. And God's Paul's faith is carrying him in this. Amen. So faith is not a a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, so to speak, for hardships. Your faith will oftentimes carry you into storms. We want to ask three questions as we look at our text this morning. Excuse me. First one is, how important is faith? Second, why is faith important? And the last, what is the result of faith. So they begin the journey to Rome. It's not a, a straight shot. They make many stops or a few stops uh, along the way. Paul is technically still a prisoner, but if we read the text, you know, he's given great leeway here. Uh, charge is given to uh, uh, a man named Julius to uh, deliver Paul to Rome, him and some other prisoners. And the, the text doesn't tell us much about Julius other than that he was a satirian of the Augustan cohort. We know that Paul isn't alone. Uh, the author of the text, being Luke, says uh, in the first verse there, it's decided that we should sail to Rome. We find in the second verse that Aristarchus is also with Paul. We know that Paul is a prisoner, and we even know that at some point uh, he and Aristarchus, Aristarchus, if I'm saying that right, were prisoners together. uh, For in Colossians 4, Paul refers to him as his fellow prisoner. But it doesn't tell us if Luke and Aristarchus are prisoners here with Paul now, or if they're simply making the journey. It wasn't just prisoners on this boat uh, as they were sailing. Um, Verse 2 saying, even that we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus. In verse 1, Luke's right that they delivered Paul and other prisoners to Julius, but it doesn't say they delivered us to Julius. So he's not including himself or Aristarchus in the, the company of the prisoners. 
So as far as Lucas and Aristarchus are concerned, their, their presence here sounds more, more voluntary than Paul's. And so it's probably safe to say that they were there simply for Paul's encouragement and comfort. And when you think about the fact that he is a prisoner, we see that great lengths goes, uh, or, or God goes through great lengths uh, to see that Paul is encouraged and comforted. Uh, we find in verse 3, as well as they make their first stop, uh, in their journey, it says that pa- Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to be with his friends and be cared for. So uh, they were able to, they made a stop at their first place and uh, he was able to go into fellowship with some of the brethren at the church there, as Paul oftentimes enjoyed doing. And although we see Julius treating Paul kindly, he's not at a point where he's ready to put any stock in Paul's word. And so we see in verses 9 through 11, Paul gives counsel concerning their journey. And rather than listening to Paul, Scripture tells us that he listened to the pilot and to uh, the owners of the ship. Since the second leg of the journey, they've been sailing, uh, Scripture says, under the lee of, and I didn't know what that meant, so of course I had to look it up. And uh, under the lee, by definition, means being on the sheltered side of something, uh, away from uh, the side, away from the wind, rather, which makes sense as they're about to be in a storm, so they're looking to protect themselves in their journey as they travel on the seas. Scripture also says in verse 9 that the voyage was now dangerous because even now the fast was over, this referring to uh, the Day of Atonement. And so it gives us a timeline of early to late October, and this was a time where, uh, at least in the area where they were sailing, that you really didn't want to be in on the waters. I kind of liken it to the, we have like a hurricane season, and this is like taking a trip in the Gulf during hurricane season. Not really something you want to do, right? So the winds and the waters, they're getting rougher and rougher, and they come to this place called Fair Havens, and I love that name. I thought of it. I saw it. I immediately thought of this nice subdivision. You know, it's a gated community. Real estate, you know, it's a gated community, high HOA fees, no swimming pool. So it sounds like a a great place to just kind of camp out and wait out this season uh, because, again, he's telling them uh, in verse 10, he says, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. So Paul is basically saying, guys, things are going to get rough out there, and we might want to think about just hanging out at, at, at this fair haven. You know, this just seems like a good place we can wait it out. But again, in the beginning, Julius, Julius was kind to him, but he didn't really put any stock in anything Paul had to say. So, of course, they didn't list it. And Scripture says that a majority, along with the pilot and uh, the owners of the ship, that a majority voted. And so they set out again looking for this place called uh, uh, Phoenix. That was a harbor of Crete. Now, you're leaving Fair Haven. Sounds comfortable to set out for a place called Phoenix. Anybody know what a Phoenix is? Phoenix is something that sets itself on fire. So you're leaving Fairhaven for Phoenix. That's foreboding, right? If this was a movie, this, was a, this is a part where the music would kind of change. 
And here's where things get interesting because up until this point, the winds have been against them. We see in verse uh, uh, 4 of the text, and, 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 and they've been traveling under the lee of or the protection of whatever landmass they were next to. So, so the, 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 the winds were kind of rough. But as they set out for Phoenix, what happens? Look with me at verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, the winds changed. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchored and sailed along Crete close to the shore. So the winds change. They go from rough winds that were against them, and they get a, a gentle wind, and now they're all excited, and they're, they're feeling their help, and you know the music changes again because it's a movie, right? But this is not really a good thing. This is the literal calm before the storm, right? Things are about to go drastically wrong for them, and they have no clue. Paul does. And remember, Paul tries to admonish them, hey, let's, let's hang out, even from the very beginning, saying, I perceive that this, this, this will call great injury, loss of ship, loss of life. Paul knew what was going to happen, but they didn't listen to Paul. Look with me at verse 14. They got fair winds. They're feeling good about it. They've set out for Phoenix. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Another music change. They've lost control of the ship. Now, I've, I've, I've never been on a ship on the ocean, but I've seen videos on YouTube of these huge cruise liners being tossed like they were lifeboats and all the furniture and the people are sliding. This could not have been the exciting time they thought they were going to have. And, and, and some commentaries uh, inferred that they wanted to, to, to leave Fair Havens to go for Phoenix because nothing was going on in Fair Havens, but Phoenix was supposedly the place where things were popping. But they're getting some excitement now, amen? Not yet in panic mode. You know, Scripture says they are sailors, so uh, they've seen a storm or two. So they, 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 they can't steer the ship, but they, they do what the, they can. So what the Scripture tells us? It tells us that they secure the ship's boat. And the ship's boat was a, a, a smaller boat that they usually floated behind them. If you've seen uh, some of the movies, when the big ship comes to land, they can only go so far. And so they have this smaller boat that they put people on that ferries them back and forth from land, right? So they secure the ship's boat in verse 16. Verse 17, Scripture says, fearing that they might run aground, they lowered the anchor. So again, they've lost control of the ship, but they're uh, uh, in the middle of the storm. But in order that they don't drift away too far, they try to stabilize the ship. So in verse seven, verse 16, they secure the boat. 17, uh, they, they lower the anchor. 18, still in the storm. The next day, they begin to throw over cargo, trying to lighten the load, Right? trying to raise their, the deck level even higher above the water because as waves are crashing and winds blowing, they're taking on water, right? Anybody see Russell Crowe yet? I, I just saw this storm playing out in the movie. I, I like to watch movies more than I like to read, so I just saw this all playing out in my head. 
So on the third day, verse 19, still in the storm, the ship's tackle is thrown overboard. They're doing everything that they can in hopes of saving this ship and saving their lives. We come to verse 20, and it says, look with me there. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of being saved was abandoned. They didn't have GPS. They didn't have all these wonderful navigation tools that they have on ships nowadays, so they navigated by the stars, right? But they have no idea where they are. And a group of sailors, a group of sailors, can you imagine what the other people on the ship are doing? A group of sailors have lost all hope and are looking to abandon ship. How bad must the storm have been for sailors, experienced sailors, to abandon all hope of surviving the storm? For them to say, look, we've, we've done everything that we can, but it's, it's not enough. Amen? Have we been there? Have you been in a place where it, it's, you just, psh, you just, all you can do is throw up your hands? You've done everything that you can do. Maybe, you, maybe yours wasn't a storm, although I've, I've talked to some people like my mother-in-law who uh, was in a tornado when she was younger, and, and she said it was the most frightening experience of her life, and there was nothing that they could do but hold on as the tornado literally took the house from around them. Maybe your storm wasn't a literal storm. Maybe it's, maybe it's dealing with physical pain, and despite the, the, the medication and despite the rehab, the pain doesn't stop. Maybe your storm is e- e- emotional. Everything around you is going haywire, and you just can't seem to get a grip. You're constantly stressed. You're constantly in mental turmoil and frustrated. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe you know God and you, you love Jesus, but, but man, he, he just seems so far. He seems so far away at times, and it, it, it's, it's difficult to pray. It's difficult to, to read your word. It just seems like there's nothing you can do. And so you just throw up your hands. This is the place that they're in now. And it's here in this place when they've come to an end of what they can do that God decides to intervene. Amen. Praise God. Look with me at verses 21 through 25. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, I told you so. No, no. He says, You should have listened to me and not set out from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, uh, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Verse 25. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God, it will be exactly as I have been told. For I have faith in God. How important is faith? Paul makes the declaration, I have faith in God. How important is it? 
Romans 1 and 17 says that the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 5 verses 1 through 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained also access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope, and hope, makes, uh, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hebrews 11 and 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. These scriptures speak to our life, our hope, our justification, our character, our endurance, and our position in Christ. These are things of great importance. Amen. Faith is everything in the life of a believer. But there's one major difference between the word used in those scriptures and the word that Paul uh, uses here in verse 25. Those verses speak to a faith possessed. It's, a, uh, it's something we have. It's a, a noun. The Greek word is pistis, a strong number 4100, if you like to go and look it up. The word Paul uses here is the Greek, Greek word pistuo. It's uh, strong numbers 4102, and it speaks to a faith demonstrated. Major difference between having faith and operating in faith. Amen. Many of us have faith, but not all of us believe God, or at least not all the time. How often are we even in a position where we feel that we have to believe God? So much of our days are filled with natural things that aren't storm level that would, that would require, amen, that would require a I believe God response. And so too often and too many days go by where we don't even exercise our faith. And what happens, not that I get to the gym a lot, but what happens when you don't exercise your muscles? Atrophy. They weaken. They weaken. And so when we pray big prayers, having, having gone so long without engaging our faith, when we say big prayers instead of feeling like Abraham in, in Romans chapter 4 where Scripture says he staggered not at the promise uh, of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God has promised he was able to perform. Instead of feeling like that, we find ourselves more like the, the, the old man in the gospel who comes to the Lord and says, I believe, but help my unbelief. How often do we say a big prayer and follow it, but Lord, if it's not your will? And I get it. It, 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 it sounds good, right? But we know he operates after the counsel of his own will. Scripture tells us that. Again, we, we are... His people and the sheep of his pasture, right? He is God. It's he who has made us and not we ourselves. So we know that God has his own will, his own mind, his own uh, uh, plans. We don't need to put in, but Lord, if it's not your will, but we do that because we're not used to asking God for big things and seeing God do big things because we're not really operating 
in faith. We're not in a position where we're really believing God. Are we giving him anything to respond to? Some storms are necessary because it's the only time that we engage our faith. James 2, uh, starting at verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him uh, or to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will say, I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 22, he says, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Faith requires more than just an affirmation. It's more than just I have faith in God. Amen. Faith requires a response. What are you doing because of your faith in God? And Paul responds, why is faith important? Faith is important because when storms come, everybody has a plan. Look with me at the next several verses here. This is back in chapter 27, starting at verse 27, if you're reading along. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further, and they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. They're getting closer to what they believe is land. And fearing, but remember again, they still can't see where they are. And fearing they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors uh, from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, uh, jump down with me at verse uh, 39. It says, Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders and hoisting the foresail uh, to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. So faith is important because everybody has a plan. The sailors wanted to escape. They were going to take the little boat, get out, and leave everybody else to die. The soldiers had a plan. Um, if these prisoners escape, we lose our life. So instead of letting everybody go and it's every man for themselves, we're going to kill the prisoners and then we're going to go. Paul believed God also had a plan. Faith is important because not everybody will see what you see. Paul gave the word that, hey, God has said that everybody will be saved. When the sailors started to escape, Paul cried out to the, to the centurion, to the soldiers, hey, everybody stop them. Everybody has to stay in the boat if they're going to be saved. 
And when the sailors, uh, rather when the soldiers, uh, instead of allowing the, 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 the prisoners to escape and they wanted to kill everybody, Julius, because again, God from the very beginning had, had given him a, a sort of affinity for Paul, not wanting Paul to be killed. He stopped the soldiers and said, hey, if you can swim, go for it. If you can't, grab a part of the ship and, you know, make, make it to land the best way you can. But everybody has a plan. But it was only God's plan that ended in lives being saved. So in times where God's plan conflict with the plans of those around you, you have to have some resolve in yourself to believe God and to speak out in what he has spoken to you. Amen. So what is the result of faith? God's word to Paul was twofold. You must go before Caesar right? And second, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Look with me at the last two verses, and we're almost done. But the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought to safety, or all were brought safely to land. The result of faith is glory for God and salvation for man. Amen. This is the essence of the gospel that we stand before others and that we testify that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God and that men would hear, repent, and believe. And our text, physical lives are saved. My hope for you, my hope for myself, that as we live out our faith, believing God intentionally and actively engaging our faith, that as we cry out that men would be saved. Not from, physical, not from physical death, but from spiritual death. Amen? And only one application for us. And this has been a, a, a personal challenge to me over the uh, last two weeks, but especially over the last three days. Um, earlier in the month, uh, coming into January, uh, we used to fast every January, and the Lord was like, you know, hey, you know, why don't you fast? And I was like, yeah, nah. And so my wife said, hey, you know, have you thought about us fasting? And I was like, nah, you know, there's a pecan pie in the fridge. There's a key lime pie in the fridge. Nah, nah was talking to the Hendrixes one day, and they were like, yeah, we're fasting. And I'm like, okay, God. That's, that's, that's twice now. And then I was talking to another guy, and he was like, yeah, man, you know, the Scripture talks about fasting and, you know, casting out devils and saying only these kind, you know, come by fasting and prayer. And I'm like, okay, that's three times. Uh, maybe we should be fasting. And so I told my wife, okay, babe, let's, let's, let's fast. But in the last three days, he's really been talking to me about not just possessing faith in the sense that, yeah, I'm a believer and, you know, I go to church on Sunday and and, and we have small group and I pray and, and, you know, every now and then I might say a grace over my food and everything. But other than that, what is, how does faith play out in my day to day, Right. So give your faith an assignment. Don't just wake up in the morning and leave for your day and take no thought of your faith leaving it at home on the coffee table. Give it an assignment. What are you believing God for? 
Everybody should have something. Everybody knows unbelievers in their life. And if you have unbelievers in your life and you're believing God for their salvation, how are you engaging your faith in that? Are you praying for them? Are you praying with them? Are you sharing the gospel with them? Are you, are you sharing with them, hey, I went to church this morning, and here's what they talked about. You know, hey, hey, we're having, we're having missional tonight. It's our life group, our small group. Hey, why don't you come? What are you doing to engage your faith, right? Pastor Brian talked about last week how we pour out not because, not as we pour out because of what we've been given, what we've received. And you've received faith. Scripture says that God has dealt unto every man a measure of faith. You didn't believe Christ. You didn't come to faith just because you were so good and you were so awesome and you saw what a beautiful thing life in Christ was. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? And so if we're pouring out based on what we've already received, that means that we're doing something, that we're active. Scripture says faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we need to be sharing the word of God if we're going to be active in our faith, especially for those people in our lives that we know don't know God. How shall they hear without a preacher? And he's not talking about me and Brian. He's talking about you. Amen? Whatever you put before God is not the faith. It's not about the faith that you possess. It's about the faith that you move on. Believing not only that God can help, but that he will help. 